Um, so today my aim is to ease us back into the biblical narrative. So we were doing this, um, some of you weren't with us at that point, um, but last year we went through and we looked at how all of scripture is telling one overarching story. So there are different books, different stories, different elements, but there is one overarching story which makes sense of the whole. And that is what we're trying to look at um, in the next few weeks as we wrap up our series on the drama of Scripture. So um, what we do is when we understand the whole story of Scripture, we can use that as a framework for understanding how we see and understand how the world works, okay, and how we interact in it. So it gives us our worldview, and that's true of any religion or any deep belief, you form a worldview out of it. And it's so important for us as Christians to have a good grasp of what the Bible is actually teaching us in order to have a correct worldview and be able to interact with people and um, you know, develop in ourselves a solid faith that is in the right direction. Um, it's been suggested by scholars, they've been looking at the story of Scripture for a very, very long time, um, but N.T. Wright recently has come up with the drama of Scripture, so he sees the Scripture as a five-act play. So I know some of you heard this before, I'm just doing a very quick recap for those who haven't, or for those who want to be reminded. Um, so for the drama of Scripture, he said it starts basically this whole story with creation. So the world is created by God and it's good. And then humans rebel against God and everything kind of falls into disrepair, okay? So everything falls into the way that it's not meant to be. But God doesn't want it to stay like that. So God starts his acts of redemption, his redemptive story. The rest of the story is all redemptive from that point where he starts from the nation of Israel and works through and it's completed in what Jesus does on the cross. Then we have Act 4, which is those lovely people down there, which is where we come in, where my story and your story connects in with the big story of Scripture, with God's story. And it's our chance to go out and share the gospel and the good news and all of the things that we know about God with the rest of the world. And then it finally ends with the final act, which is the new heavens and new earth, um, the final rent, redemption, restoration, recreation, however you want to say it, um, that will happen at the end of time. Okay, so that is our story of the Bible in two minutes. I might as well sit down, <laughs> but I won't. So, sorry to disappoint you. Um, so what we have here is we have the biblical story. And we've done one and two and half of three last year. So we're going to be starting at Jesus. If you remember, Rachel so beautifully wrapped it off um, at the end uh, the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament, and we'll be picking it up from the New Testament. So for those of you who are um, keen biblical students or want to go further, um, I've said before, this is basically the curriculum for the first year of Bible college. So there's an added benefit. You don't have to pay the money or give up extra time. You just come on a Sunday morning. So pretty, pretty helpful. So what I want to do is I want us to start off uh, by praying, and then we'll get into those readings. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that we have the scriptures to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and how we are to respond to such an overwhelming gift of our salvation. 
Lord, be with us as we listen to what uh, I have prepared with you over the past week. And God, may you say to everybody what it is that you want to say to them. No matter what I say, I pray your spirit will use it for people to hear from you today. So we come to you with open hearts and open minds this morning. Amen. So you heard the two readings that we had before, um, which really nicely draw us back into this biblical story. So first of all, we're going to look at that Luke reading that Margaret read. So we've got two disciples, and they're walking down the road, and they're sad, they're downcast, and they're joined by a third person who is Jesus, but they don't realize it. And he starts talking to them, saying, hey, you know, what's up? And so they talk to him about why they are downcast. And they say, well, have you not been around? You know, Jesus was there. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to fix all our problems. But then he died. Um, End of the story, really. Um, And then we thought that he, you know, our women went and they went to the tomb and his body's gone. Like, it doesn't get much worse than that. So they're, you know, really disappointed And I'm sure that we can all imagine how you would feel if if the person that you thought was supposed to do the thing that they were supposed to do, and they just didn't do it. We've all been in that situation before. So Jesus, you know, then says to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. What an awesome, awesome conversation that must have been if you were there. My goodness. So these men, they thought they knew Jesus, but they didn't really have a depth of understanding of who he was or what was going on or what was supposed to happen, did they? And I can kind of relate to that. Because when I first became Christian, I think for the first few years, you know, I went to um, a service and it was, you know, quiet. It was Jesus-focused, obviously, but it was quite light, you know, and it would say Jesus was this guy who came and died for your sins and now you're free, so everything is awesome and you've got your ticket to heaven. So that was basically what I was taught. And that's what I believed. And that was fine, you know, I'm saved. Um, But what I didn't have was a deeper understanding of what on earth that actually meant. So if you've heard that so many times without sort of context to it, it's almost like it just, you don't question it, but then if you look at it deeper, actually you can't really understand what Jesus did unless you understand the Old Testament, all of the things that pointed up to what Jesus did on the cross. There's like all the stuff that needs to be filled in for that statement to truly have meaning, if you get what I mean. So that's how I was, and that's how these guys were like. Sure, I had been told more than they had, but still, it wasn't the deep faith that I really wanted. So I, I was thinking about it, and it's like this. Have you guys ever watched a TV program where they have like the main story is being played out, and then you have a flashback to the past? And in that flashback, they're always great. I love the flashbacks. Chris doesn't care so much, and maybe it's a male thing. He just wants to get to the action, right, like the here and now. But I love the character development of the backstory, right? The, back, the flashbacks are like the best part because you get to learn why this main character is the way that they are and why they respond the way they do in the situations they're in. 
So I love, I'm like a flashback junkie. Um, but if you don't have that information, right, you kind of view things in a really, like all of the events that happen in that program, in a really two-dimensional way. You know, it's like you're lacking some depth. You know, you just turned it on, you've come in halfway through something. That's kind of how it is, right? It's like when you, you know, you put on a Harry Potter movie and say it's like the fifth one. You know, like, I mean, there's like endless amounts of Harry Potter movies. I'm just choosing one at random. But, you know, you, you watch it and it's great. It's a good movie. It's good value, right? You watch it. It's fun. But you actually don't understand it with all its fullness unless you know what's happened in the previous movies, right? Unless you know what's happened to Harry and his friends and how their relationships have developed and what prophecies there were and what Voldemort was up to and all that sort of stuff. Like, you can't get a full appreciation of it until you know all of that backstory. So if you start talking to someone who's really into Harry Potter, they'd be like, oh, you can't just start there. You've got to start right back at the beginning. Let me sit you down for the next, like, 20 hours of your life and we'll fill you in, you know? And they're right, because you don't have a real appreciation of that movie because you don't know what led up to that point in the life. That's just how it is. And it was kind of like that for me and for these men about Jesus. It says in verse 25 that Jesus tells them that they don't understand what the prophets were saying. It was never going to be all roses like they were hoping. It was never meant to be. If you'd read the prophets, you would know that the Messiah didn't just come in, everything was glorious and everything just worked out. There was always going to be suffering. It says in verse 26 that the prophets were pointing to the truth that the Messiah would have to suffer before entering his glory. And then it says that beginning with Moses and then all the prophets, that Jesus used the scriptures, which is all of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament, and he used them to explain who he was and what he had done. So if you wanted a reason, if you're one of these like New Testament people who are like, oh, the Old Testament's like really big and boring and confusing. Um, if you don't, you know, if my whole sermon today is not a argument for it, Jesus tells you <laughs> that you should read it uh, because that is where he explains who he is. That's what he uses um, to identify who he is and helps us to understand that. Now, it's been suggested by scholars that Jesus may have started with Deuteronomy 18.15, Okay, and that's um, also used by Peter in Acts 3. And um, it's a verse where Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Now, in Deuteronomy 18, God is speaking to Moses, who is like the top prophet. So, I mean, it's always like Moses and the prophets, okay? Moses is like top dog. And God is saying to him, There will be one who is coming who will speak exactly what I tell him to. And if people don't listen to him, they will be held to account by God, okay, by himself. So we have Moses, and then we have someone who's coming who's going to be like the ultimate Moses, okay? So that's how he may have started to introduce himself to these guys. But when we think about how, you know, someone goes through the scriptures and points to Jesus, we probably think, right, they're talking about Isaiah 53, right, the suffering servant and all of the stuff in those verses and those chapters in Isaiah around that bit. But actually, if you look through Luke's gospel, there's quite a few different verses that are used to explain who Jesus is, and a lot of these would have come from directly from Jesus' teaching, because as you know, the apostles were all, and the disciples were all actually listening to Jesus and then telling the story back. 
Um, so it's quite interesting. You can see things from Isaiah, Daniel, the Psalms, all being used to point to who Jesus is and what he did. But it wouldn't have been just a case, people might think, of going, yeah, look, this one here, Psalm 22, verses 2 to 3, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Jesus would have done that, I'm sure. Um, but it's more than that, right? It's not just like there were like a couple of little prophecies that exactly spoke what Jesus did. It's more that the entire Old Testament was set up in a way in which Jesus is the answer to all of it, or Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it, to use the biblical language. So what it would have been was Jesus going through all of the institutions, all of the roles, prophet, priest, king, the law, all of the historical events, and showing how that was actually setting up to understand what he would do when he came, and that what he did would be final and everlasting. So one of the biggest revelations of my faith was it came a few years after my conversion, and you might think, oh my goodness, how did you not see that earlier? (laughs) Or you might go, whoa, I hadn't actually thought that through myself. But it was when, when I realized that God had really set things out so incredibly intelligently in history and in scripture, which documents the history, um, the way in which he helps us to understand what Jesus did. So when you look at the Exodus, you know, God intervened miraculously to save his people. So he was freeing his, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And they went, there was the Passover, they were saved through that, they went through the Red Sea, they walked through that, the Egyptians, you know, all died through those things. And at the end of the day, there was freedom for God's people. Now, that was a historical, geographical, literal event that happened, right? And then they went, and they became a nation directly under God. So that happened, the nation of Israel existed, you know, all of that is documented. But what was happening on that physical, actual, literal level was preparing the people for what was going to come next. And if you remember my sermon about celebration a few weeks ago, God told the people, always retell this story. It's important. Remember it constantly. And the people were told to remember because when Jesus came, they would be able to put two and two together. Because what Jesus did was take those events that were literal and physical, and he did the same thing on a spiritual level, which like ramps it up that extra notch to its finality. Okay, so Jesus came and he saved, he saved us from the bondage of our sins and gave us freedom. So that was like when I first realized it. Like that is so clever. It's like, you know when you're teaching kids and you could just say stuff, but they don't listen. You know, you want to show them. So you're like, you know, what's a nuclear reactor? Well, okay, I'll show you, I don't know, something like a match and something. You know, like they need to see something tangible before they can understand the kind of theoretical. And God knows us so well that he like laid out the whole of the Bible so that we could understand more easily what it was that Jesus was doing or what he was doing through Jesus. So when I got to college, I was introduced to Jesus in this new way. So I'd heard, I picked up a few things along the way and it was all consolidated at college. Um, 
And what really stood out in college, I mean, like the main thing that they want you to know, is that you can't really understand the Bible unless you read it through the eyes of someone looking for Jesus. Okay, so when we read the Old Testament, we don't read it as like an interesting novel. We read it to learn about Jesus. And interestingly, this model of teaching that Jesus is using, where he goes through the Bible and he shows where he is through there, it actually continues on. You know, if you've read your New Testament as well, we see that um, we see an Acts. Stephen picks it up. He does the same thing. He stands, you know, he's about to die, and he tells the biblical story, doesn't he, in explaining who Jesus is. Then we see Paul going around to the synagogues. He does the same thing. You know, often he starts with Abraham, but he'll go through and he'll say, this is the story of the people of God, and this is what Jesus did. He is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah that you have been waiting for. So when we're sharing this up in church, it's not coming from us. Uh, It's not coming from latest scholarship. It is coming from Jesus and the disciples themselves. This is how we are meant to understand our scriptures. But... What I, one of the things that might be harder to understand is it's easier to understand how someone can fulfill a promise, right? You know, like you promise something and then they follow through and they, they, that's done. But how do you fulfill an institution? Like that's the harder thing that, for us to kind of grasp and get a hold of. How do you fulfill like the law? It's, it's kind of a hard thing to understand. So that's when we look at Matthew 15, okay? So verse 17, Jesus himself He's, he's come into the world, and people are kind of wondering, is he just discarding the law? Like, you know, he's doing stuff on the Sabbath that we should not be doing. So has he come to just get rid of that law? What's he doing? Like, what's the story there? So Jesus decides to address this, and he says, I'm not here to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. So Jesus is laying out exactly what his ministry is about. It's about fulfillment of all of those things from the Old Testament. The law and prophets was a way of summing up. He means the old scriptures, the Old Testament. He claims his purpose is to fulfill them. And um, that's what he would have been telling the men on the road, how he fulfilled those things. So what does it mean? Well, think about what I just said about the Exodus event. Okay, so that's an event. How do you fulfill an event? But it's that sense of he would take things that were physical, generally, or the law, which is written, you know, it's a thing that everyone lived by, and then he would take it to that next level. And often it's the level of your heart. So you've got a written law, and yes, you obey the law, but are you obeying it in your heart? So Jesus really saw to the, to the crux of what God was trying to say. So scholars say about this verse that the word fulfill in this context about the law, he's not, it says that he's not adding to the law. He's not transcending the law. He's not replacing the law. He's not just living out the law perfectly. Um, he's not fulfilling aspects of the law. But this guy says that he offers a new depth of insight into what the law requires that goes further than what they would have just had read out to them in the synagogues. Okay, so that's just what I've been saying. It's the sense of he could see, he was expressing to them the real heart of what God had to say to his people. And you remember that this is the start, this verse is actually in the context of he's just starting the Beatitudes. So that's where he says a law, and then he says, you know, like you shouldn't commit adultery. And then he says, but actually, if you have lust, if you even think of a woman lustfully, that's not okay either. 
So he's got the law, he gets the essence of it, and then he's putting that back out to the people in what he says and in the way that he lived. So it's described as scholar. I thought I'd pull in some scholarship um, to back up what I said. Um, and if we could put it up on the... Yeah, perfect. Michael Wilkins is a renowned scholar, and he said, Jesus not only fulfills certain anticipated roles, but his interpretation of the scriptures completes and clarifies God's intent and meaning through it. So everything that the Old Testament intended to communicate about God's will and hopes and future for humanity finds its fullest meaning in Jesus. So does that make sense? It's a bit of a mouthful. I'm going to read it again. Jesus not only fulfills certain anticipated roles, but his interpretation of the scriptures completes and clarifies God's intent and meaning through it. Everything that the Old Testament intended to communicate about God's will and hopes and future for humanity finds its fullest meaning in Jesus. So let's recap as we finish off today. Jesus is the main character of this story that is, and all his character development is set by the Old Testament. The institutions of the law, the covenants, the roles of prophet, priest, king that we're going to be covering in the next few weeks, the key events, the things that form the identity of the Jewish people, all of these things were setting the scene so that people would understand that Jesus came and he was the ultimate fulfillment of these things. He took things into himself. He took all of our sin upon himself. He gave us spiritual freedom, not just physical freedom. So when Jesus came into the world, he was living, loving, teaching, healing. He was leading, suffering, dying, forgiving, rising from the dead. He did those things in order to give us true freedom, true salvation. And if we don't have that framework from the Old Testament, we don't understand the richness and the depth and the beauty of what he did for us. A bare appreciation is fine. Yes, it gives you salvation if you believe that what Jesus did, you know, if you believe in what Jesus did and that he died for your sins. Um, but a deeper appreciation of Jesus is what we're all wanting, isn't it? We're not wanting to just stay babies in our faith. We're wanting to be not lukewarm. We're wanting to be full on. We want to really, really know Jesus and constantly be deepening our faith. If you look at the Apostle Paul in Philippians, man, I always talk about Philippians, but it is such a good book. It is so inspiring. Um, Paul tells us, he's always telling us to run the race, get that prize, you know, keep going, persevering, because it's worth it. And his prize is knowing Jesus. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. For Paul to know Christ wasn't just to follow him in the present. It was to know him in the past. And it was to live in him in this mysterious way that happens when you accept Christ as your Lord and Saviour. He wanted to be so intertwined with him. And that is my hope for all of us at GPC as well, to know Jesus, to constantly keep searching for him, to know him better, 
to look through the scriptures, to be faithful in reading our scriptures, to be faithful in prayer, to have that deeper relationship with him. And so I've got, um, in a moment, I'll ask Ross to play a short music video, but I just wanted time for us as we start getting back into this biblical narrative, um, a chance for us to really recommit our lives to Jesus. As we start looking at who he was through all the things that he did, I want us to really give ourselves over to Jesus again this morning. So um, we'll play that music, reflect on that, open your heart to the Holy Spirit, and then I will come back and pray for us at the end. Let's pray. God, it's the desire of our hearts to know you and to know you more. Father, we pray that as we've heard about your story today, that you will work in us, 
bring to mind what it is that we need to do. What's the next steps in our relationship with you to know you more? God, as we read your word in our quiet times, speak to us. Bring us deeper into that relationship with you. And Lord, as we do, help us to share that with others. Help us to take your mission seriously as we deepen ourselves and our faith and our relationship with you. Help us to deepen our commitment to the things that you asked us to do. So Father, empower us through your Holy Spirit. Amen.